concerned with Hoorah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it Or what to do with it Or how to keep it You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret But you're not the only one Get your hidden financial fears With a blast of sun Now your healing has begun It's bad with money with Gabby Dunn Hello, Deadbeats. Welcome to Season 4 of Bad With Money. It's me, Gabby Dunn. Remember me? I'm so glad to be back in your ear holes, and I'm so honored by all the love and support you guys gave me when I was promoting the Bad With Money book and while I was on the Bad With Money book tour. That's right. That's where I've been. So don't get on my case about how long it's taken for Season 4 to come out, okay? A lot has happened for this little show. The book is in its third reprint. I was on the Today Show with Terry Crews, not to brag, and I was covered in the New York Times. I'm still shocked that anyone is interested in hearing about money from a social justice perspective, but I'm also really, really happy and relieved that they are. More than any of that, the messages that you all have sent me have been beyond anything I could have hoped for for this show. You came out to my events and you told me all the ways Bad With Money has changed your lives. You told me you felt spoken to as queers, as people of color, as disabled people, as any community who mainstream financial media refuses to acknowledge exists. When this show started, I knew nothing about finances. Okay, I still don't know everything, but back in season one, I had questions like, what is a stock and how do I get my credit card cash rewards? My questions are still, okay, pretty basic, to be honest. And knowing more hasn't erased all my bad habits, nor has it stopped life from coming at me fast. Just last week, my car broke down on Hollywood Boulevard. The repairs are more than I can afford, and so... I'm currently wheelsless while I figure it out. Them's literally the brakes. I'm stressed about money, even after all this time. And as you guys heard, over the next couple seasons of the podcast, the more I learned, the more radicalized I became. It became so clear that the systems we have in place are not working, and more than that, are working against us. But one thing I miss dearly about season one is the long-form conversations I was having with people about money. So for season four... We're going to merge the topics with the deeper conversations. I'm going to be talking to friends and experts and everyone in between about the money topics that still perplex and infuriate me. And as always, I'm interested in speaking to marginalized people who don't normally get this sort of platform. Except for this week. This week, I'm going to be talking to someone who might seem like the opposite of everything this show stands for. Susie Orman. It's the Susie Orman Show. When I talk about not enjoying financial gurus who yell at people on TV, Susie is one of the people I'm talking about. If you've never seen Susie at work, you've probably at least seen Kristen Wiig's iconic impression of her. Not many people know this, but I've got a tattoo of decorative buttons going down my chest, so no matter what, I always look like I'm wearing a jacket. (laughs) The thing is, Susie always stood out to me. For one thing, she's a woman. For another, she's gay. So we have being queer ladies in common. If she wasn't Susie Orman, she'd actually be a perfect fit for this show. Susie and I connected on the phone after she read an article about me, and we talked off the record for two hours. Naturally, I asked her to be the first guest of Bad With Money Season 4. In a lot of ways, I respect Susie for the way she climbed the ranks of a male-dominated industry as a queer woman, while also wholly disagreeing with the mode in which she communicates her advice. Susie uses the word stupid freely, something I would never do when addressing my financial audience. She talks about her experiences standing up for herself in a male-dominated sexist environment, a positive for sure, but one that she, as a white woman, probably has more leeway to do. 
She talks about all the do's and don'ts of money, never be late on a payment, have an eight-month emergency fund, but rarely goes beyond broad advice into the specifics for people who just can't do that. But on the other hand, she's not blind to the real world. She's a huge advocate for getting women out of financially abusive situations and has worked on campaigns to educate women about the ways in which their partners can abuse them financially. It's a topic I'm also very passionate about. Over the course of this conversation, we agree to disagree and try to find some middle ground. Susie called into the show a couple months ago from the private island on which she lives. And she's actually become a very able fisherman there. No, yeah, you heard me right. She doles out financial advice from a private island. I'm reminded of that 30 Rock bit where Tracy can't do stand-up anymore because he's unable to relate to the people. Tracy, you may come from humble beginnings, but you've been rich for a long time. I think it's affecting your act. You know how on St. Bart's people be eating their lobster like this? Don't look at me in the eyes. Have I lost touch with my roots? Susie speaks from an aspirational place, and I speak from a relatable one, if not a messy one. So yes, we're coming from very different places. I've always been the really the first or only woman in this field. You know, in 1980, when I first became a stockbroker and I was hired in the Oakland office of Merrill Lynch, obviously none of you were born in 1980, probably. And, but anyway, there were no women stockbrokers at the time. I was the very first one in the Oakland office of a hundred men. And I was told, I was told that women belong barefoot and pregnant and they would have to hire me, obviously, because of, you know, affirmative action back then, because there were no women, but that they would fire me in six months. I asked them, how much are you going to pay me right, to make me pregnant? <laughs> and the manager said $1,500 a month. And I went, oh, my God, because remember, right before then, I had been a waitress for seven years making $400 a month at the Buttercup Bakery till I was 30 years of age. Mm-hmm. And so they hired me simply to fill their women's quota. And, um, and then it went on from there. And after they hired me, Right, All kinds of things went on where women, and then they started to hire more women mm-hmm. stockbrokers that had to sleep with the managers. Now, obviously, it's no you know, secret. I've been gay my entire life. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, you know, I always told everybody I was gay because I was quite proud that I was gay. I never thought I had to hide anything. But anyway, so now that other women stockbrokers are having to sleep with managers and other male stockbrokers. I walked into the sales manager's office and I said, if you ever, if you ever approach me in a way that is disrespectful to me, I will cut your little pecker off. (laughs) And they didn't fire you? That was, no, because, because that earned their respect Mm -hmm. in a very strange way. So mine was always one of, you know, standing up for being a woman and being a gay woman and however, also being great at what I was doing. And so it was all that way, not only then, all the way through CNBC and everything that I had done. Do you know, Gabby, that in 1998, 
the nine steps to financial freedom was the number one selling hardback nonfiction book of all hardback nonfiction books. It sold more than 3 million copies that year alone Mm -hmm. in hardback. And it was number one on the, on the, you know, New York times list for a year. It was number one on the business week list. It was number one on every list possible. Do you think that in 1999 when they named the top 10 business books or finance books in business week for that year that they included one book by a woman. They did not, even though my book sold 10 copies to every one copy that another book sold. Are you kidding me? So it's been the story of my life, but it's been a story that I've excelled at rather than let it limit me. Okay. Now we're going to take a quick break for an ad and we'll be right back. And we're back. Why is it important for women to be in finance or to take control of financial stuff or be visible in that way? Even regular, you know, even women at home, uh, you know, why is it important for them to kind of show or be knowledgeable about this stuff? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Any of you think you're powerful in life, you are just kidding yourselves. You are fooling yourselves because you are never powerful in life until you're powerful over your own money. How you think about it, how you feel about it, and how you act with it. Do you know today that financial abuse, which is my big thing that Mm -hmm. I'm now involved in, but there are women, wealthy women, very poor women, all kinds of women that one out of four women today suffer financial abuse. And if you are not strong with your money, whether you know it or not, you can come under the reins of somebody and suffer such financial abuse. It's not even funny. So if you want to go and be a woman and live your life, not knowing anything about your money and everything, you are just plain stupid. You could be not be more stupid if you tried. So ladies, you better get smart and you better get smart right now right here while you still have time to. Well, we've talked on the phone about doing different things. I think like sometimes people are put off by, you know, being called stupid or like the aggressive nature of the financial industry in general. What's your opinion on like a that kind of thing? Listen, I don't like the financial industry at all. Right? I think that is it's so easy. You have to understand that if somebody like me who never got good grades to the world all. If you looked at me as a person who didn't come from money, didn't marry money, never really got good grades, you know, Mm -hmm. anything above a C, I think, in college, that I've, you know, had the lowest reading score in my class when I was in grammar school. Everybody thought I was stupid. Yeah. Everybody thought I was stupid. And I believed that I was stupid. And now look at me at the personal finance expert of the world. Are you kidding me? So if I can do it with all of those names on me and the things that I can't do and da, 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 Mm -hmm. and still excel, but excel by knowing what you need to do for yourself. You don't need some financial advisor, in my opinion, to tell you what to do with money. All of you, it's so simple that all of you can really be the masters of your own financial destiny, no matter man, woman. It's not just about being a woman. It's just about being somebody who has the birthright to be financially free. 
What's the first step then that you tell people who maybe have never done anything financially? If you've never done anything financially, you need to at least start opening your statements. You need to at least start looking, do you have credit card debt? And the very first thing to do is to get yourself out of debt. Because mm-hmm. you really can't save money if you're spending the money that you're costing you a lot of money to spend when they're not paying you anything to keep that money in savings. And so you would start like that. And obviously, if you're working for a corporation that gives you a 401k plan and you put in a dollar, they give you 50 cents. It doesn't matter if you don't have any money, you have to contribute and participate in a 401k plan up to the point of the match, which is usually 6% of your base pay. But just do little things like get yourself out of debt, have an eight month emergency fund. And, you know, if you're going to have a retirement account, have a Roth IRA if you qualify versus a traditional IRA. If you don't know what to invest in, just put money every single month in a Standard & Poor's 500 index fund. That's all you have to do. You know, don't ever lease a car. You know, forget buying brand new cars unless you can pay for them in cash and you have a lot of money. Buy a car that's two or three years old. Never co-sign a loan. Never miss a student loan payment, by the way. Little things like that are so easy to do. It's not even funny. Sure, but I think a lot of people, like I know you you did that series where you talk to women in different low-income situations um, that you can find on YouTube, uh, and I think a lot of people are very overwhelmed or already really underwater, you know, due to a lot of systemic issues where, you know, there's the wage gap and all that kind of stuff, and I think like a lot of people are just even overwhelmed by, you know, the information you just gave. I've I've talked to a lot of people who are just like super overwhelmed by, they don't even know, like, who do you go to to invest? Who do you, where do you start? Um, And I've kind of learned through the podcast that investing has this big looming idea behind it, but um, it's sort of just like, not gambling, but it's sort of just like, there's no trick to it. You're just sort of picking you know, what you think will do well or what you're do some research and figure out what will do well. But I think people are so scared of just like losing all their money, you know? There's a lot of fear. Yeah, but if you start, if you diversify your money, if you put little sums of money every single month into something that's diversified, if you start learning the language of money. So if you don't know those languages, then, you know, my Women in Money book is fabulous. My book, you know, the the money book for the young, fabulous and broke, Mm -hmm. fabulous again. You know, I have a course out there and it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful course that, that, you know, and all these things that you can do or just start watching CNBC and learning little by little. Listen, Gabby, I was totally overwhelmed. Remember at the age of 30, I was still a waitress. Mm -hmm. So you can either just give yourself excuses and say, okay, I'm always going to be overwhelmed. I'm, I don't want to know about it. I'm going to keep my head in the sand. Or you can say, you know what? I can do this. Mm Mm-hmm. I can do this. Little by little, I can do this. And then just start doing it. There's all the information online that's free. You don't have to pay for anything. If you just want to learn, you can. But you have to want to do it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to do it, the person who's going to pay the price in the long run is going to be you. 
I trust me on that one. And, you know, so for those of you who don't know is for 14 years, I had the number one show on CNBC called the Susie Orman show where people would call in and ask me questions. And what was so sad is how many people would say to me, Susie, if only I knew you 20 years ago. And finally, I was able to say I was here 20 years ago. Where were you? You could have had me 20 years ago. And it's not just about money. It's about who you are. And if you're afraid to deal with your money, then there's a part of you that you're afraid to deal with yourself. Yeah, it's super scary to a lot of people. I think because I think this show has leaned more political. Obviously, we talk about like my mistakes and what you can do differently. But you're very like, here's what you need to do. And I do some of that. But I also have a very like, okay, this is the systemic reason that this isn't really working out. And this is what you can do politically. And this is sort of uh, what we need to vote to change and stuff like that. And I think there is room for like a middle ground between maybe the the next generation of what I think a lot of younger people want to hear because they are very social justice oriented. But there has to be, I mean, every single one of us, I don't care what age you are now, you, you know, you have to get involved in that because this world is just going to hell yeah. uh, politically speaking. And if it's not in the younger people's hands, I don't know whose hands it is in. And all of us have to understand that, you know, Oh, my God. It's just crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. don't even get me started on Trump and make me throw up on my microphone. <laughs> right? But but it's but you know, but the truth of the matter is for you to be really strong and be solid and not be dependent on a society that does not care about you at all. Yeah. In my opinion, if you are not a white man, mm-hmm. um, you know, forget about it. You don't exist to For anybody sure. out there. And so we're trying to take that back now and do everything that we can do that way. But when you really can make change is when you yourself are powerful. Mm-hmm. And when you can't pay your bills, when have enough money in retirement accounts. When you see where everything's going over the years with the debt that's being rung up just to finance heavy duty corporations that are so wealthy already at your own expense, Mm -hmm. that it's that you better start looking at your own money because nobody's going to be out there to save you. And who knows if social security will be there. Good luck. Who, th- who knows if Medicare will be there? Good luck. Mm-hmm. Who knows if any of this, nothing's going to be there for us except you. So the truth of the matter is the younger generation needs to know more about their money and what to do with their money than any other generation prior to this, in my own opinion. Yeah, I agree. I was about to ask, what have you witnessed over time in terms of having been in the industry for so long? How have the questions changed like that you hear from people? The questions have never changed, I have to tell you, because, yeah, because personal finance has always been personal finance. Susie, you know, what should I do first? Should I pay off my student loan debt or my credit card debt? Susie, my kids want to do this. Should I co-sign a loan or should I not? Susie, should I lease a car? Should I buy a car? Where should I invest my money? Should What kind of retirement account? Should I do a 401k? All the questions are the same. And the answers, believe it or not, are relatively the same as well. And what's sad, however, 
is to watch little by little all the tax advantages that were for people who didn't have money be taken away. You know, there was a time, Gabby, not that long ago when I could take off the interest on my credit card debt, my car loan debt, Mm -hmm. all my debt off of my income taxes. Now, you know, all you can take off your income taxes, if you even can take anything off your income taxes, because now they don't want any of you to itemize, is the interest on a mortgage. And they've even now lowered the amount of interest that's tax deductible from a million to 750000 One day it'll probably go away. Mm-hmm. At the same time, they've increased the estate tax limit for really wealthy people to leave their money, you know, to people estate tax-free. So yeah. I watched little by little every single thing. Um, full Social Security being able to start at 65 to now it not doesn't start till 67 and watch soon it will probably not start till 70. Mm-hmm. And companies offering pension plans that they paid you if you worked for them and they gave you health insurance to none of that being true. Not anymore. So more and more I have seen over all the years that I've been doing this over 35 years now is that the responsibility of your own future is being put on your own shoulders. And you're not going to have help from other places. And you combine that with artificial intelligence and what that does to our tax structures. It's, it's you know, we really do have to get involved financially speaking. And if I can do it, anybody can do it because I'm not that smart, Gabby. <laughs> I always think it's the people that just start talking about it or start doing the thing are the ones that are successful, not necessarily the most intelligent people. I feel that about myself as well. Yeah, you just do it mm-hmm. and you learn and you go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. All right, so I made a mistake and now I don't do that again. Well, I think people are really afraid of even making one little mistake. So they don't do anything. One little mistake with a little amount of money isn't going to kill you on any level. But that's why if you simply do a technique known as dollar cost averaging and dollar cost averaging is where you take a hundred dollars a month or any amount of money that's manageable for you and you simply invest it in Mm -hmm. a mutual fund right, which is simply a fund made up of a lot of mutual investors that buy an index. That index is known as the Standard & Poor's 500 index. It's what they quote every day as to what the market does. And that's 500 stocks in this one index. So you buy a fund that owns all 500 of those stocks. So you own a little piece of every one of those stocks. And now you're diversified and you keep doing that every month. When the market goes up, your $100 buys less shares because the price goes up. Mm -hmm. When the market goes down, your $100 buys more shares because the price went down. But over time, you have averaged the cost of what you're buying with your dollars so that you never will lose a lot of money ever. And if you just keep doing that month in and month out over the next 20, 30, 40 years, oh my God, you know, over 40 years at $100 a month at a 12% annual average rate of return, which means one year it goes up 30%, one year it goes down 50, the next maybe, but over all 40 years, you've averaged 12%, you'd have a million dollars. And that's at $100 a month. 
We'll be right back to this interview after a break. And we're back, back to the interview. I do think people are concerned about the safety of the stock market. I feel like a lot of people my age just put things in savings accounts and are worried about like the volatility of, of all of it, especially after the, the 2008 crisis. Oh, but you have 1929, you have 2008, you have 1980. I mean, the markets will always go up and down. And at your age, you should be wishing and a praying and a hoping that these markets crash. Are you <laughs> kidding me? In 2008, when these markets crashed, that's when you went in and you bought stocks that were at $100 at $20, and now yeah. they're at $300. I heard that. You want these markets to go up? While you are young, you want the markets to go down. And if you're taking your money every single month, and you're buying into an index fund that's diversified among all the stocks. You're not putting all of your money in one stock. You're buying an index of 500 stocks, the Standard & Poor's 500 index. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, Gabby. I mean, wouldn't you rather, if you're putting $100 in a month, wouldn't you rather have something at, you know, at a dollar a share so you can buy 100 shares versus $10 a share. So now it's, you know, you can only buy 10 shares because if you can have thousands of shares of something, when it finally goes up for every point, it moves up, you make 10,000, 20,000, $50,000. But what about the people in 2008 that like lost all their, all their retirement funds? They lost the retirement funds because they sold. You should never, ever have money in the stock market on any level that you are going to need within seven to 10 years. Yeah, I think people don't know that. So, so at your age, there, you would have 100% of yourself in the stock market. Now, I'm 67 years of age mm -hmm. as I'm talking to you. And still, you know, I don't have the I have millions and millions of dollars in the stock market, but my serious money is all in municipal bonds. What are those? Municipal bonds are bonds issued by municipalities or cities. And when you get a municipal bond, the interest that you earn is totally tax-free, federal and state in some situations. So if I'm making 5.5% on a bond, that's a municipal bond. I'm a resident of um, Florida, so I don't pay any state income tax. Yeah, my parents neither. 5.5%, right, is tax free to me on the state and federal level, which is like an 8% certificate of deposit. See? Yeah. So I know I'm getting my income and I know no matter what happens with tax brackets, I know how much income I'm going to have from those bonds when I no longer am working to generate income. So for people who want to learn more about this, this kind of specific stuff, like aside from your books, who, who do you look to as like a, a person in the field who you think is actually like really good at explaining this stuff outside of yourself? I don't know anybody better than me. <laughs> and I'm serious. It's the plain truth. Good luck finding any finance person who has sold as many books as I've sold. Mm -hmm. um, and, and when you're a finance person, it's hard to sell books. You have to get people who purchase your books. I have over 30 million copies of my books in print out there. Good luck finding any other person 
like that. Listen, Gabby, you and I had a two-hour conversation about your money. Mm -hmm. Now, let's just be honest about this. Has anybody given you the information or the type of advice that I gave you, whether you take it or not, is not my problem. That's your problem. No, for but sure. Where I approach things in a totally different way than any finance person you've ever met in your life. I think it was, I think there was a lot of, no, no, I think that there was a lot of, um, we talked about like power sort of, uh, attracting power. And I think that was really, uh, useful in terms of like confidence building and, and having, you know, I obviously called and talked to my investment person because I do have an accountant through my manager and we talked about that too. And I think like, um, you know, I did call and actually like he was happy to hear from me and was like, oh, I would love to like explain everything to you and talk to you more. And like, we'd be more involved person to person with you. And I think, uh, I don't know that I would have had the confidence to do that prior, uh, to talking to you for sure. I think like you were sort of saying that coming to him or coming to this stuff with confidence or with power, like makes people treat you with respect, essentially in terms of your money. You know, what's interesting is that there's so many different ways to think about money and and when you're somebody like me, you should think you should absolutely think that you're the best. Because if you're not the best, then get out of the game. If you if you want to know the truth, and just get out of the game. Either That's be true the for best everything. Or don't be in it. That's true for everything. That is true for everything. That is true for everything. And if you're not the best, sooner or later the game will kick you out. It will kick you out. I've watched people come, and I've watched people go. And I don't know, somehow I'm still here and the offers are still coming in right and left with people saying, Susie, we've never found anybody to replace you. Please come back to TV, Susie. Come on, Susie, do this, do that. And I'm like, we'll see what I do. But it's, um, it's an interesting thing to watch. I mean, I think for a lot of marginalized people, you have to be the best. Otherwise, you know, you have to be when you were talking about the way you spoke to your manager about not, you know, sexually harassing you based thing you could ask for. It's like uh, you have to be the best. Otherwise, you can't talk to people that way or you have to be the best other, uh, you know, so that there's no reason to fire you or there's no which is so hard because that's you know, something that I think marginalized people have to do more so, even in terms of like taking care of your money, you know, you have to be more on top of it because people might feel that they can take more advantage of you or they might feel that they don't have to respect you. And and I think like there is something to having to be twice as good or three times as good. All I know is that this is your money, everybody. And what happens to it directly affects the quality of your life and mm -hmm. nobody else's life but your own. So when do you start to get involved with it? And all I can tell you is the sooner you do it, the better. Because the magic to having a lot of money all comes down to time. And the more time your money has to earn money, and that money earns money, and that money earns money, the more wealth you create. You know, recently I was just asked to write the foreword to a book called The Richest Man in Babylon that was written in the 1920s, oh. which is maybe one of the greatest honors I've had, given that it's a classic. If you are starting and you just really want to get a concept of how do you build wealth? Where do you start? And you ask me, who else would I send you to? 
I'd send you to read a book that was written in the 20s called The Richest Man in Babylon. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting to hear that a lot of the questions are the same, sort of timeless, timeless problems. What's the like big mistake that people come to you with? Not like a question of what they should be doing, but something that you see that people are already doing or people are, you know, preaching, oh, this is what you should do or this is what I did or even like just doing it kind of secretly. (laughs) Well, you know, there's so many things. It's, you know, um, the main thing, right? Like, for instance, I was just in Arizona a few days ago talking to all to the Arizona Cardinals. Right now, these are football players. Larry Fitzgerald, who's fabulous, by the way. And he asked me to come and speak to all of the guys because now they're making a lot of money for the first time in their lives and they don't know what to do with it. And the owner of the team was there. And I said, why aren't you offering these gentlemen a Roth 401k. Now he had a great reason because it was collective bargaining and what their club does, all the other football clubs have to do. But he would say, he said to me, Susie, why would we want these guys to do a Roth 401k when they're in such a high income tax bracket? I then gave him a 20 minute talk on why you would want to do that. Mm-hmm. And he went, oh my God, I never thought of that. So the biggest mistake that I think everybody is making, bar none, and against all conventional wisdom is people say, put your money in a traditional 401k or a traditional IRA. And for those of you who don't know what that is, you put money in these retirement accounts pre-tax, which means you don't have to pay tax on that money. And then the theory is you got a tax write-off of $5,000 or $2,000 or Mm -hmm. whatever it is you got a tax write-off in terms of your income, which saves you money on your taxes. To then withdraw this money later on when you're in a lower income tax bracket. That is the theory. A Roth 401k and a Roth IRA is you pay taxes today and then your money gets put into these accounts after tax so that later on in life, when you go to withdraw it, all the growth and everything, you get to withdraw 100% tax-free. Your children get to withdraw it 100% tax-free and on and on. So the biggest mistake out there I think most finance people are making is when they're telling you it's far better off to do a traditional IRA or 401k over a Roth 401k or a Roth IRA. Why do they tell you to do that? I don't know. I have to tell you, I don't (laughs) think they've thought through. I think they're very short term. I don't know. I have, I, it, I can't make sense on it on any level whatsoever. They'll tell you all kinds of things to do yeah. that make absolutely no sense, but make them a very big commission sometimes. Yeah. It's hard to wade through all of the noise, especially. I think like a big criticism of big finance gurus 
is that the advice is either contradictory or uh, I think a lot of people are like, is this just kind of a gamble? Is there a way? I mean, is there really a way as a, a finance guru to predict the future? There's no way to, you know, come come at things like and be 100% correct all the time where, you know, mm. you're allowed to change your opinion. But I think people get real salty about that. Um, and like, you know, I think a lot of the criticism lobbed at, at people like you is, is that the advice changes all the time or that, that there's like some, like you were saying that there's something in it for you or like, oh, look, this person got rich off of, uh, being aggressive towards people basically. Yeah. It's, you know, people will always criticize. People will always find fault with Mm -hmm. others. And all that really matters, whether it's jealousy or whatever, all that really matters is, do you believe in what you're saying? You know, are you being ethical? Are you whatever it may be? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when somebody tells you something like, put your money every single month in a, you know, Standard & Poor's 500 index fund, obviously, where there isn't a commission or anything like that. You know, it doesn't matter whether the markets go up or down because you have to plan for all of it. Nobody's going to call the top ever. Nobody's going to call the bottom ever. Nobody's going to get it totally right. But if you just stay conservative in your approach and diversify and keep doing things such as if you buy a home, okay. But once you get older and you know you're going to stay in that home forever, make it your number one priority to have the mortgage paid off. Because mm-hmm. your mortgage is your largest expense, so you don't need as much money in retirement accounts to generate income to pay the mortgage if your mortgage is paid off. So I don't know. I think it'd be very difficult for somebody to say, you know, I sold them something, I did something, whatever it may be. You know, when most of the things I do, you can find online for free or whatever. Or if I do have a product, it's absolutely at a price that's ridiculously low. Yeah, so that's important. it's, you know, it's up to people to decide who they want to follow and whose advice do they want to take mm-hmm. um, and how do they want to do it. And so, you know, and, you know, do you even need anybody else's advice or can you just learn it all on your own little by little, you know, play Monopoly, you know, make it like, you know, like play money, like pretend like you invested, pretend that you did this. But, but honest to God, I don't have to wonder anymore, Gabby, if what I say works. I mean, we have millions of emails telling me how people's lives have changed because they read Nine Steps to Financial Freedom. They read, you know, Women and Money. They mm-hmm. did this. They did that. For sure. So it's, you know, it's, it's up to all of you. You know, if you hate, go ahead and hate me. A lot of people, have, listen, you either love me, Gabby, or you hate me. There is nobody in between. Mm-hmm. But I'm not out to hurt any of you. I don't want anything from you. All I want is for you to be the, you know, masters, like I said, of your own financial destiny. And that all I'm asking you to do is to empower yourself and learn about money so nobody could take advantage of you. So my last question is like, you know, obviously you started with nothing and you are now, you know, there's a lot made of like, oh, she lives on a private island or, you know, is there, is there, do you see your story as like aspirational or like something, you know, yeah. Do you see it as something the where it's like women or, or anybody could be like, wow, this, you know, this is something I could follow or, 
you know, you see it as like, I'm not like out of touch, quote unquote. I'm like someone who actually made it out of the muck that someone could like look up to. Well, obviously I'm somebody who made it out of the muck. Mm -hmm. I grew up on the South side of Chicago. Mom was a secretary. My dad was sick his entire life. Nobody ever expected me to be anything. Um, A waitress till I was 30 and worked really, really hard. Yeah now to become where I am. And yeah, I live on a private island. You damn right I do. <laughs> and um, I earned every penny of that. And I am not ashamed of that on any level. And it's, you know, um, it's just how life is, everybody. But I earned every penny. Nobody gave me anything. I, you know, I did it. Mm-hmm. I absolutely did it. And now when I'm able to do, it's not that I still don't make a few million dollars a year doing things I absolutely do, but the majority of my time now is spent with domestic abuse and domestic violence for women that I'm not making a penny for. Mm-hmm. A few years ago, I was named the official financial educator you know, for the U.S. Army and the Army Reserves. Don't make a penny for that. You know, I speak all the time to the New York Police Department and make sure that they're okay for the men and women that are giving their lives in New York City to protect us. Don't make a penny for that. I love what's happened to my life, and I'm proud of who I am, and I'm proud of every bit of advice and everything I have ever tried to do to help people. I'm proud of every move I have ever made in the past 35 years. That's awesome. That's a great, you know, yeah, why not? That's a great like uh, way to have gone through the last 35 years. I will say one thing. How is yeah. the how is the the fishing? We'll end on that. Hi. Fishing is great. We went out yesterday. I caught one wahoo and one tuna. So when we came in, all the islanders were like, yeah, what did Susie and KT have now? So the fishing this year, we've caught 28 yahoo as of yesterday in the past month and a half, and which have fed hundreds of people. So I'm loving the fishing, and we're getting better and better at it. <laughs> awesome. I love and, the photos. And, and I know, Gabby, a lot of people are like, oh, God, she's killing fish now, and she's doing that. People think about what you eat every day, when you buy it, where do you get it from? At least I know where everything's coming from. And there's a lot of people on this island who can't wait to see my boat pull in every day to eat a fish in a million years. They never would have been able to catch themselves. Yeah, they're huge. (laughs) They're huge. They're like 65 pounds. And yes, they're huge. See, Gabby has seen pictures of them. I'm very proud of my fish, but I hear I posted. I never read Facebook or Instagram or tweet replies. I don't care what anybody has to say about me. Not my problem. So I don't read it. And um, but somebody told me the other day, oh, Susie, I was on your Instagram or somewhere. I posted a picture of my Wahoo and they said, people are just tearing you to part. But this person is on the island. They go, but I'm telling them that you feed everybody with it and blah, blah, and go, I really don't want to hear about it. I hate when people, why do people do that? Friends of mine do that too. They go, oh, I saw this mean Uh, comment. Why do you do that? Stop it. (laughs) I don't know why. But here's my advice to you, Gabby. And Barbara Walters gave me this advice. Never read what other people say about you, the good or the bad. For sure. So I don't read the good or the bad and I 
don't care. All <laughs> I have to answer to in life is myself. Yep. Because in the end, that's all you got. That's it. Yep. I used to be able to say, you know, on your deathbed, you're not going to be thinking about, you know, your red Ferrari that you never bought. Although I do have a little story that last week, one of my um, friend's parents, mommy died and her very last words on her deathbed were, can somebody bring me all my bank statements? What? what? I want to see them, please. And then she died. Uh-huh. It's true. And so <laughs> I'm like, well, does, did she have a lot of money? And they went, Yeah. And, and, and she just wanted to see how much money she had right before she died. But she didn't get to because they didn't get it to her in time. But that's the first time I've ever heard of somebody about to die and wanting to know about their money. Wow, that's <laughs> but kind, I love that story. Kind of a bad bitch move. I don't care about any of you guys. What's my money look like? Right? right? Yeah. So anyway, there you go. Well, thank you. Thank All you right, so my dear much. Gabby. Thank you so much for, for talking to me. I really appreciate it. And I think there's, you know, I think it's cool for this audience to to hear from someone who's like, was, uh, is one of the only women I can't think of. I was talking, you know, I can't think of, it's me and you as the queer women in this industry. I don't know any other ones. So it's cool. <laughs> Actually, a lot of them, um, a lot of, you'd be amazed at how many gay women are on television, are in front of your eyes all the time, mm -hmm. and they just haven't come out yet. You'd be amazed. I just, you know, and obviously in their own time, I don't know, Gabby, we're just lucky that we've always, you know, like we, we're out. I, I appreciate you coming on and um, just enjoy your fishing, man. I guess you've earned it. You know what I mean? Not I guess, you have. <laughs> I'm Certainly have. There was 10 years I didn't spend one day in the same place for 10 straight years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes people come up to me and they say, oh, I wish I could be you. I say, be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. <laughs> so everybody who has made it to the top from Oprah on, you have no idea how hard they've worked. And Oprah is still working to get to where she mm -hmm. is. Thank you so much, Susie. All right, best of luck to you. The fishing is a bit of a heavy-handed metaphor. Susie goes out and nabs the big fish to mixed reviews, which she uses to feed others. It's complicated. Are Susie Orman and I ever going to agree entirely? Probably not. Has she earned that private island? Maybe. Is she excellent at shilling her books and products seamlessly in conversation? Oh, absolutely. Is there room in the world for both of us? No. She wants to talk confidence in being the best at what you do? Good. I'm gunning for her spot at the top, and once I'm there, the word stupid will be banned. I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to win. Bad With Money is a production of Stitcher. Our theme music is by Jack Dolgen, Mike Kaplan, and Zach Sherwin, and is performed by Sam Barbera. Our show is produced and edited by Melissa Yeager-Miller, is sound engineered and mixed by Brendan Burns, and is executive produced by Jenny Rattle at Mast and Chris Bannon. I'm Gabby Dunn, and see you guys next week. Stitcher.